chapter third of the heart of midlothian by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by dion gines salt lake city utah the hours come but not the man there is a tradition that while a little stream was swollen into a torrent by recent showers the discontented voice of the water-spirit was heard to pronounce these words at the same moment a man urged on by his fate or in scottish language fay arrived at a gallop and prepared to cross the water no remonstrance from the bystanders was of power to stop him he plunged into the stream and perished kelpie on the day when the unhappy porteus was expected to suffer the sentence of the law the place of execution extensive as it is was crowded almost to suffocation there was not a window in all the lofty tenements around it or in the steep and crooked street called the bow by which the fatal procession was to descend from the high street that was not absolutely filled with spectators the uncommon height and antique appearance of these houses some of which were formerly the property of the knights templars and the knights of st john and still exhibit on their fronts and gables the iron cross of these orders gave additional effect to a scene in itself so striking the area of the grass market resembled a huge dark lake or sea of human heads in the centre of which arose the fatal tree tall black and ominous from which dangled the deadly halter every object takes interest from its uses and associations and the erect beam and empty noose things so simple in themselves became on such an occasion objects of terror and of solemn interest amid so numerous an assembly there was scarcely a word spoken save in whispers the thirst of vengeance was in some degree allayed by its supposed certainty and even the populace with deeper feeling than they are wont to entertain suppressed all clamorous exultation and prepared to enjoy the scene of retaliation in triumph silent and decent though stern and relentless it seemed as if the depth of their hatred to the unfortunate criminal scorned to display itself in anything resembling the more noisy current of their ordinary feelings had a stranger consulted only the evidence of his ears he might have supposed that so vast a multitude were assembled for some purpose which affected them with the deepest sorrow and stilled those noises which on all ordinary occasions arise from such a concourse but if he had gazed upon their faces he would have been instantly undeceived the compressed lip the bent brow 
the stern and flashing eye of almost every one on whom he looked conveyed the expression of men come to glut their sight with triumphant revenge it is probable that the appearance of the criminal might have somewhat changed the temper of the populace in his favour and that they might in the moment of death have forgiven the man against whom their resentment had been so fiercely heated it had however been destined that the mutability of their sentiments was not to be exposed to this trial the usual hour for producing the criminal had been passed for many minutes yet the spectators observed no symptom of his appearance would they venture to defraud public justice was the question which men began anxiously to ask at each other the first answer in every case was bold and positive they dare not but when the point was further canvassed other opinions were entertained and various causes of doubt were suggested porteus had been a favourite officer of the magistracy of the city which being a numerous and fluctuating body requires for its support a degree of energy in its functionaries which the individuals who compose it cannot at all times alike be supposed to possess in their own persons it was remembered that in the information for porteus the paper namely in which his case was stated to the judges of the criminal court he had been described by his counsel as the person on whom the magistrates chiefly relied in all emergencies of uncommon difficulty it was argued too that his conduct on the unhappy occasion of wilson's execution was capable of being attributed to an imprudent excess of zeal in the execution of his duty a motive for which those under whose authority he acted might be supposed to have great sympathy and as these considerations might move the magistrates to make a favourable representation of porteus's case there were not wanting others in the higher departments of government which would make suggestions favourably listened to the mob of edinburgh when thoroughly excited had been at all times one of the fiercest which could be found in europe and of late years they had risen repeatedly against the government and sometimes not without temporary success they were conscious therefore that they were no favourites with the rulers of the period and that if captain porteus's violence was not altogether regarded as good service it might certainly be thought that to visit it with a capital punishment would render it both delicate and dangerous for future officers in the same circumstances to act with effect in repressing tumults there is also a natural feeling on the part of all members of government for the general maintenance of authority and it seemed not unlikely that what to the relatives of the sufferers appeared a wanton and unprovoked massacre should be otherwise viewed 
in the cabinet of st james it might be there supposed that upon the whole matter captain porteous was in the exercise of a trust delegated to him by the lawful civil authority that he had been assaulted by the populace and several of his men hurt and that in finally repelling force by force his conduct could be fairly imputed to no other motive than self-defence in the discharge of his duty these considerations of themselves very powerful induced the spectators to apprehend the possibility of a reprieve and to the various causes which might interest the rulers in his favour the lower part of the rabble added one which was peculiarly well adapted to their comprehension it was averred in order to increase the odium against porteous that while he repressed with the utmost severity the slightest excesses of the poor he not only overlooked the license of the young nobles and gentry but was very willing to lend them the countenance of his official authority in execution of such loose pranks as it was chiefly his duty to have restrained this suspicion which was perhaps much exaggerated made a deep impression on the minds of the populace and when several of the higher rank joined in a petition recommending porteous to the mercy of the crown it was generally supposed he owed their favour not to any conviction of the hardship of his case but to the fear of losing a convenient accomplice in their debaucheries it is scarcely necessary to say how much this suspicion augmented the people's detestation of this obnoxious criminal as well as their fear of his escaping the sentence pronounced against him while these arguments were stated and replied to and canvassed and supported the hitherto silent expectation of the people became changed into that deep and agitating murmur which is sent forth by the ocean before the tempest begins to howl the crowded populace as if their motions had corresponded with the unsettled state of their minds fluctuated to and fro without any visible cause of impulse like the agitation of the waters called by sailors the ground swell the news which the magistrates had almost hesitated to communicate to them were at length announced and spread among the spectators with a rapidity like lightning a reprieve from the secretary of state's office under the hand of his grace the duke of newcastle had arrived intimating the pleasure of queen caroline regent of the kingdom during the absence of george the second on the continent that the execution of the sentence of death pronounced against john porteous late captain-lieutenant of the city guard of edinburgh present prisoner in the tolbooth of that city be respited for six weeks from the time appointed for his execution the assembled spectators of almost all degrees 
whose minds had been wound up to the pitch which we have described uttered a groan or rather a roar of indignation and disappointed revenge similar to that of a tiger from whom his meal has been rent by his keeper when he was just about to devour it this fierce exclamation seemed to forebode some immediate explosion of popular resentment and in fact such had been expected by the magistrates and the necessary measures had been taken to repress it but the shout was not repeated nor did any sudden tumult ensue such as it appeared to announce the populace seemed to be ashamed of having expressed their disappointment in a vain clamour and the sound changed not into the silence which had preceded the arrival of these stunning news but into stifled mutterings which each group maintained among themselves and which were blended into one deep and hoarse murmur which floated above the assembly yet still though all expectation of the execution was over the mob remained assembled stationary as it were through very resentment gazing on the preparations for death which had now been made in vain and stimulating their feelings by recalling the various claims which wilson might have had on royal mercy from the mistaken motives on which he acted as well as from the generosity he had displayed towards his accomplice this man they said the brave the resolute the generous was executed to death without mercy for stealing a purse of gold which in some sense he might consider as a fair reprisal while the profligate satellite who took advantage of a trifling tumult inseparable from such occasions to shed the blood of twenty of his fellow-citizens is deemed a fitting object for the exercise of the royal prerogative of mercy is this to be borne would our fathers have borne it are not we like them scotsmen and burghers of edinburgh the officers of justice began now to remove the scaffold and other preparations which had been made for the execution in hopes by doing so to accelerate the dispersion of the multitude the measure had the desired effect for no sooner had the fatal tree been unfixed from the large stone pedestal or socket in which it was secured and sunk slowly down upon the wain intended to remove it to the place where it was usually deposited than the populace after giving vent to their feelings in a second shout of rage and mortification began slowly to disperse to their usual abodes and occupations the windows were in like manner gradually deserted and groups of the more decent class of citizens formed themselves as if waiting to return homewards 
when the streets should be cleared of the rabble contrary to what is frequently the case this description of persons agreed in general with the sentiments of their inferiors and considered the cause as common to all ranks indeed as we have already noticed it was by no means amongst the lowest class of the spectators or those most likely to be engaged in the riot at wilson's execution that the fatal fire of porteus's soldiers had taken effect several persons were killed who were looking out at windows at the scene who would not of course belong to the rioters and were persons of decent rank and condition the burghers therefore resenting the loss which had fallen on their own body and proud and tenacious of their rights as the citizens of edinburgh have at all times been were greatly exasperated at the unexpected respite of captain porteus it was noticed at the time and afterwards more particularly remembered that while the mob were in the act of dispersing several individuals were seen busily passing from one place and one group of people to another remaining long with none but whispering for a little time with those who appeared to be declaiming most violently against the conduct of government these active agents had the appearance of men from the country and were generally supposed to be old friends and confederates of wilson whose minds were of course highly excited against porteus if however it was the intention of these men to stir the multitude to any sudden act of mutiny it seemed for the time to be fruitless the rabble as well as the more decent part of the assembly dispersed and went home peaceably and it was only by observing the moody discontent on their brows or catching the tenor of the conversation they held with each other that a stranger could estimate the state of their minds we will give the reader this advantage by associating ourselves with one of the numerous groups who were painfully ascending the steep declivity of the west bow to return to their dwellings in the lawn market an unco thing this mrs howden said old peter plumdamus to his neighbour the rooping wife or saleswoman as he offered her his arm to assist her in the toilsome ascent to see the grit folk at lunan set their face against law and gospel and let loose such a reprobate as porteus upon a peaceable town and to think of the weary walk they have given us answered mrs howden with a groan and sick a comfortable window as i had gotten too just within a penny stain-cast of the scaffold i could have heard every word the minister said and to pay twelve pennies for my stand and all for nothing i am judging said mr plum damas that this reprieve wouldn't stand good in the old scots law when the kingdom was a kingdom i dinna can muckle about the law answered mrs howden but i can 
when we had a king and a chancellor and parliament men of our ain we could aye people them with stains when they werena good bairns but nobody's nails can reach the length of lunan weary on lunan and all that ever came out of it said mrs grizzle damahoy an ancient seamstress they have taken away our parliament and they have oppressed our trade our gentles will hardly allow that a scots needle can sew ruffles on a sark or lace on an o'erlay ye may say that miss damahoy and i ken of them that have gotten raisins from lunnon by forpits at once responded plum damas and then sick an host of idle english godgers and excisemen as has come down to vax and torment us that an honest man canna fetch some muckle as a bit anchor a brandy from leith to the lawn market but he's like to be robbed of the very goods he's bought and paid for well i winna justify andrew wilson for pittin hands on what wasna his but if he took no more than his own there's an awful difference between that and the fact this man stands for if ye speak about the law said mrs howden here comes mr saddletree that can settle it as well as any on the bench the party she mentioned a grave elderly person with a superb periwig dressed in a decent suit of sad-coloured clothes came up as she spoke and courteously gave his arm to miss grizzle damahoy it may be necessary to mention that mr bartoline saddletree kept an excellent and highly esteemed shop for harness saddles etc etc at the sign of the golden nag at the head of bess wind his genius however as he himself and most of his neighbours conceived lay towards the weightier matters of the law and he failed not to give frequent attendance upon the pleadings and arguments of the lawyers and judges in the neighbouring square where to say the truth he was oftener to be found than would have consisted with his own emolument but that his wife an active painstaking person could in his absence make an admirable shift to please the customers and scold the journeymen this good lady was in the habit of letting her husband take his way and go on improving his stock of legal knowledge without interruption but as if in requital she insisted upon having her own will in the domestic and commercial departments which he abandoned to her now as bartoline saddletree had a considerable gift of words which he mistook for eloquence and conferred more liberally upon the society in which he lived than was at all times gracious and acceptable there went forth a saying with which wags used sometimes to interrupt his rhetoric that as he had a golden nag at his door so he had a grey mare in his shop this reproach induced mr saddletree on all occasions to assume rather a haughty and stately tone towards his good woman a circumstance by which she seemed very little affected 
unless he attempted to exercise any real authority when she never failed to fly into open rebellion but such extremes bartolin seldom provoked for like the gentle king jamie he was fonder of talking of authority than really exercising it this turn of mind was on the whole lucky for him since his substance was increased without any trouble on his part or any interruption of his favourite studies this word in explanation has been thrown in to the reader while saddletree was laying down with great precision the law upon porteus's case by which he arrived at this conclusion that if porteus had fired five minutes sooner before wilson was cut down he would have been for sans in licito engaged that is in a lawful act and only liable to be punished propter excessum or for lack of discretion which might have mitigated the punishment to poena ordinaria discretion echoed mrs howden on whom it may well be supposed the fineness of this distinction was entirely thrown away when had jock porteus either grace discretion or good manners i mind when his father but mrs howden said saddletree and i said mrs damahoy mind when his mother miss damahoy entreated the interrupted orator and i said plumdamus mind when his wife mr plumdamus miss howden miss damahoy again implored the orator mind the distinction as counsellor crossmaloof says i says he take a distinction now the body of the criminal being cut down and the execution ended porteus was no longer official the act which he came to protect and guard being done and ended he was no better than suivus ex populo quivis quivis mr saddletree craving your pardon said with a prolonged emphasis on the first syllable mr butler the deputy schoolmaster of a parish near edinburgh who at that moment came up behind them as the false latin was uttered what signifies interrupting me mr butler but i am glad to see ye notwithstanding i speak after counsellor crossmaloof and he said suavis if counsellor crossmaloof used the dative for the nominative i would have crossed his loof with a tight leathern strap mr saddletree there is not a boy on the booby form but should have been scourged for such a solecism in grammar i speak latin like a lawyer mr butler and not like a schoolmaster retorted saddletree scarce like a schoolboy i think rejoined butler it matters little said bartolin all i mean to say is that porteus has become liable to the poena extra ordinum or capital punishment which is to say in plain scotch the gallows simply because he did not fire when he was in office but waited till the body was cut down the execution whilk he had in charge to guard implemented and he himself exonered of the public trust imposed on him 
but mr saddletree said plum damas do ye really think john porteous's case would have been better if he had begun firing before any stones were flung at a indeed do i neighbour plumdemus replied bartolin confidently he being then in point of trust and in point of power the execution being but inchoate or at least not implemented or finally ended but after wilson was cut down it was all o'er he was clean exoctorate and had nay mere ado but to get away with his guard up this west bow as fast as if there had been a caption after him and this is law for i heard it laid down by lord vincovencentum vincovencentum is he a lord of state or a lord of seat inquired mrs howden a lord of seat a lord of session i fash myself little with lords of state they vex me with a ween idle questions about their saddles and kirples and holsters and horse furniture and what they'll cost and when they'll be ready a ween galloping geese my wife may serve the like of them and so might she in her day have served the best lord in the land for as little as ye think of her mr saddletree said mrs howden somewhat indignant at the contemptuous way in which her gossip was mentioned when she and i were twa gilpies we little thought to have sitten down with the like of my old davy howden or you either mr saddletree while saddletree who was not bright at a reply was cudgelling his brains for an answer to this home thrust miss damahoy broke in on him and as for the lords of state said miss damahoy ye sold mind the writing o' the parliament mr saddletree in the good old time before the union a year's rent o' money a good estate gade for horse-greth and harnessing for by broidered robes and foot-mantles that would have stood by their lane with gold brocade and that were muckle in my ain line ay and then the lusty banqueting with sweetmeats and comfits wet and dry and dried fruits of diverse sorts said plumdamus but scotland was scotland in these days i'll tell ye what it is neighbours said mrs howden i'll never believe scotland is scotland any more if our kindly scots sit down with the affront they have given us this day it is not only the blood that is shed but the blood that might have been shed that's required at our hands there was my daughter's ween little epi dadle my own ye can miss grizzle had played the truant from the school as bairns will do ye can mr butler and for which interjected mr butler they should be soundly scourged by their well-wishers and had just croopen to the gallows foot to see the hanging as was natural for a ween and what for mightna had she been shot as well as the rest of em and where would we have been then i wonder how queen caroline if her name be caroline would have liked to have had one of her own bairns in suck a venture 
report says answered butler that such a circumstance would not have distressed her majesty beyond endurance ah well said mrs howden the sum o' the matter is that were i a man i would have a man's of jock porteous be the upshot what like of it if all the carls and carlins in england had sworn to the naysay i would claw down the tolbooth door with my nails said miss grizzle but i would be at him ye may be very right ladies said butler but i would not advise you to speak so loud speak exclaimed both the ladies together there will be nothing else spoken about from the way-house to the water-gate till this is either ended or mended the females now departed to their respective places of abode plumdemus joined the other two gentlemen in drinking their meridian a bumper dram of brandy as they passed the well-known low-browed shop in the lawn-market where they were wont to take that refreshment mr plumdemus then departed towards his shop and mr butler who happened to have some particular occasion for the reign of an old bridal the truants of that busy day could have anticipated its application walked down the lawn-market with mr saddletree each talking as he could get a word thrust in the one on the laws of scotland the other on those of syntax and neither listening to a word which his companion uttered End of chapter third